John, chapter 5, 13-21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pay for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not continue in sin, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. You may be seated. Thank you, Janet. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to be with you this morning. We're thankful for just the good and pleasant weather we've had these last few weeks and looking forward to hopefully several more weeks of that, maybe without bees, but I'll take what I can get. We're coming to the end of our series in 1 John. We've been in since the beginning of June. We've preached through the whole book. And John sent this letter to a church broken by conflict, false teaching. John wanted these ancient brothers and sisters to be assured of what they had been taught about Jesus, to be assured of their adoption into God's family that Tricia was just sharing about. While we are in a different cultural setting and face different uh, challenges as a congregation, 1 John has offered much in the way of wisdom and instruction to Calvary. It is so important for us to stick together as a family of God's people, not to build up Clayton's or my power, not to control everybody's behavior. Our community is so important because in his people, the Creator God is bringing forth a renewed humanity a new tribe made of all tribes, a family bound not by blood, nationality, or any merely human commonality, but bound by our shared salvation in and allegiance to Jesus Christ. In these last verses, John highlights uh, seven truths, and it's sort of like a highlight reel or a roll call of all of his major points uh, that he's made in the entire letter. So if you happen to have missed any of uh, the services this past summer, John lays it all out here for you here at the end. Throughout 1 John, we've seen that knowledge of the truth, both our experience knowledge and our head knowledge, leads to greater assurance, and greater assurance leads to more confident prayer. And this morning, John exhorts us to more confident prayer for one another, for the church. But first, I want to go through these seven things that John tells us, kind of a review and a summary of the whole letter. First, he tells us that we have eternal life now. Verse 13 says, 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And Clayton talked a bit about this last week, but eternal life is not only about quantity, but even more so it's about quality. Yes, eternal life is everlasting, but it is something that we can begin to experience and participate in today. It's not something we have to wait uh, until death or until the Lord returns to participate in. And the nature of eternal life is relationship with the triune God. And Jesus says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I'll say more about that at the end, so I'll leave it there for now. The second thing John has assured us of is that God listens to us when we pray. Verse 14 says, This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we were just hearing about several answered prayers from our church family. Well, how do we know what God's will is? And that's the you know magic million-dollar question for millions of people around the world. And really, we come to know, we learn what God's will is by knowing the scriptures. That's a progressive thing, right? It's not like you have to get it all at once. But as we continue to come to know God's will, we find our prayers answered, not because God likes us more or because we're particularly better people, but because our hearts and our desires have been formed by his will revealed in the Bible. Prayer is not a tool that we use to get what we want. Prayer is a means of transformation, a way of love between us and God. And that does involve receiving what we ask for, but that is a happy side effect of prayer, not its purpose. Our prayers become less about our needs and more about how we can meet others' needs. In a way, God transforms us into the answers to our own prayers. We ask for our brothers and sisters to be comforted, encouraged, built up in love. And as we pray those things, we also are comforted, encouraged, and built up in love so that we can then turn around and share those things with our brothers and sisters. Thirdly, John has told us that we already have the answers to our prayers in Jesus. Verse 15, And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Ultimately, everything we ask of God, in terms of asking him for things, there are other things we do in prayer, but in terms of the petitions and the requests we make, everything we ask of God is in response or resistance to sin and death. At the most cosmic level, sin and death are the problem. Disease, chaos, broken relationships, all those other things are, you know, they fall under these bigger categories of sin and death. Jesus has given us forgiveness from sin and new life, deliverance from sin and death. And therefore, all our prayers are already answered in what God has done through Jesus. We are very welcome to ask him for things, for provision, for healing, for deliverance, for all the things that we've already asked him for this morning. He wants to hear those things, and he does answer. But as we find, his answers are in line with, they take the form of the forgiveness and the new life that he's already given us.
Fourth, John tells us that God's children are no longer under the tyranny of sin. Skipping a few verses down to verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not continue in sin, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And there is a distinction, we've talked about it a few times, and we'll continue to talk about it as we get into Genesis. There is a distinction in scripture between what you could call lowercase sin and capital case sin. Right? There's a distinction between the individual acts of treason, of wrongdoing that we commit, and the power of sin that seeks to kill and destroy and steal and trample God's good creation. Christians will still sin. John, I think, was not under any delusions about that. But we are no longer owned by sin. We are no longer under the power of sin. If we have pledged our allegiance to Jesus, we are no longer allied with tyrant sin. We no longer continue in sin. If you, this is one of those translation things I know we don't all care about, but some of your translations of 1 John may have translated that phrase, no one born of God continues to sin. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that we will not continue in sin. We will not continue in our relationship with sin because we have been rescued by Jesus. Fifth, John tells us that we belong to God. Verse 19, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Christians are adopted into God's family. We become his sons and daughters. What that does not mean is that we're all set, and now we just have to wait for God to nuke all the sinful bozos out there in the world. Being God's children means that we are empowered authorized to look squarely at the beastly powers of power, profit, and propaganda and resist them in Christ's victorious power. We stand firmly against any such power having a foothold in the church. John has written throughout this letter against the false teaching of Antichrist, the idols, the false gods he warns about in verse 20, which deny that Jesus is Yahweh come in the flesh which deny that God wants to make a renewed humanity with all kinds of people right now in the middle of our current mess. Brothers and sisters, as, we, as we've seen over and over again, there is no place for such teaching in the church. There's a place for people in the church, and not everybody has to, you know, somebody who comes doesn't have to already agree with everything or believe everything, that's not what I'm saying, but in terms of the teaching, what the church is teaching, there is no place for, for that. There is no place for the denial of Christ's divinity or the denial of our brothers and sisters' humanity, no matter how different from us they are. Sixth and seventh, Jesus has come so that we may know God. Verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. The word know occurs seven times in these verses. Seven is a special number in the Bible. It's a number of completeness, of perfection. God created the world in seven days. We're talking about that next week. The seventh day of the week is the Sabbath, the special day of rest and delight in the Lord. It is hardly ever an accident in Scripture when you come upon a list of seven things. They knew 
that it was a special number. And so it's hardly ever an accident when we come upon a list of seven things. And I think that John's point in doing these seven things is that in Jesus, we have perfect or complete knowledge of the truth. Not perfect because we know everything. We do not. We certainly don't understand all the things that we, that we know, and that's okay. We're, we all continue to learn. But perfect because the knowledge comes from God. It is to God. And really, because the knowledge, what we know, is God. He says that Jesus is the truth and the true God. So John says all these things. He wants us to be assured in all of these matters so that we will be confident in our prayers for one another. These seven truths surround a final exhortation to prayer. And verses 16 and 17, really 16, I think, are the center of gravity uh, for this passage. And we see, and there's much that could be said and has been said about these verses, but we know that there are different severities of sin. Verse 17 says that. Sin that leads to death and sin that doesn't. And that's been unspooled theologically in various ways across church history. But I think that John's point has to do with what prompted the letter in the first place. The damage wrought by false teaching within the church. If it's nothing else, the sin that leads to death is this false teaching of the Antichrist that we've talked about several times over the summer. But that's an aside, that's a side comment. I think John's main point here is in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. God grants life, eternal life, through our prayers for one another. Not that the other people in church aren't really saved until you pray for them, but there is a power that is unleashed when we pray and lift one another up before the Lord. And if you walk away with nothing else this morning, I hope that you would walk away with this. Praying for one another is the most important thing that we can do as a church. Praying for one another is the most important thing that we can do as a church. All the other things are good. I'm glad for all the other things. And they're necessary and we need to do them. But they must all get in line behind praying for one another. After everything the Apostle John has said about love and fellowship, service and discernment, anointing and witness, he ends with this final exhortation to pray. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, the great arena of our spiritual battle is not within our own heads, or even with the powers of this world. It is right here, in the middle of our life together, as a family of God's people. If the devil can get his mildewy talons in between us, he will ruin our unity, our witness, and our authority as an embassy of Christ's kingdom. I know it often doesn't seem like it, but what the Creator is up to in little local churches like Calvary and thousands of others around the world is a big deal. We're certainly not perfect. We certainly have a number of limitations. But God is at work knitting together a new humanity from all types of people. Jesus says that our unity is the proof of the good news because people who would naturally hate one another only get along in love if God really has saved us in Jesus. Right? And one of the things on my heart is 
really these last couple months, definitely moving into these next couple of months, is going to be a great test of the church's witness in the United States of America. If these things are true, then we can stick together in the midst of hardship and disagreement. Praying for the Calvary family is the most important thing you can do. That was true before the pandemic, and it will still be true after. And I don't care if you don't know details about what's going on in one another's lives. You don't really need to. I mean, it's good to know, and you're welcome to ask, but don't think that just because you may not know a lot of people well, that exempts you from this. It does not. If you know Christ and his word, then you know all you need to know to pray effectively for your brothers and sisters. It is God's will, Thessalonians tells us this, that each of us would be sanctified, that we live in love, as John has said multiple times, that we submit under his almighty hand, is what 1 Peter says. If you know Jesus, then you know what he wants for his other disciples. It's not a mystery. And I was reminded of this a week ago, last Sunday, in the drive-thru at McDonald's. And I don't often eat there because it ties my insides in knots, but uh, I had a craving, and so there I was. And the guy in front of me was driving this really nice red convertible. And I'm not really good with cars, so I don't know what type of convertible it was, but it was just this really nice car. He had either refurbished it or he had taken good care of it for decades, you know. Top was down, he was blasting music, he, was, he had life all figured out. And as we came around the other side of McDonald's, I saw a second guy in another really nice classic convertible. And as I was getting my food, this first guy pulls up to the second, hey, and they strike up this lively conversation. And my impression was is they did not know one another, but they knew enough on the evidence of their red convertibles to know that they would get along great. <laughs> and if you'll permit the comparison, Jesus is our <coughs> red convertible. That's really all we need to know about somebody. You may not know the folks sitting beside you, but you all know Jesus, and that is good enough to get started in a relationship of prayer. But if you do not have a practice of praying regularly for others in the Calvary family, not just the ones who have requests, which again is good and we need to keep doing that, but everybody, I urge you to begin to try and develop a practice of that. And I think there's a number of ways that we can do that. The first one would be uh, to try and pray now, not later. I, I struggle with this as well, that people come up and we talk about these things, and Pastor Clayton, in fact, did it this morning. He was telling me about some pain in his hand, and we could have stopped right then and prayed, and we, but we didn't. We moved on, and I think that we have permission from the Holy Spirit. Obviously, there's times when it would probably be awkward to uh, stop and pray, but I think as we're able to really try and pray right now, not later on when I remember to do it. I think another way that we could practice this is to make a habit to ask Calvary to pray for you. And, and many of us do, uh, but we really only do that when something really wrong is happening. And I'm not criticizing that at all, but it is just to say that I think we can, and I'm speaking this to myself as well, increase in our awareness that we always need prayer um, for different things and to try and be stoke an awareness of that that we can share with one another. The third thing, if you don't, to start, is to make use of the weekly prayer sheet that we send out on Fridays. And we email that, and we also mail it. And I know many of you do, and I'm glad that you do, but I would just urge you, that's a great place to start, to pray through one or two of those requests each day of the week. 
And if you don't get it, let us know and we'll make sure that you do because I think that that is a, a keystone of our prayer ministry here at Calvary. The last encouragement, number four, the last thing I would encourage you to do is practice front porch prayer. Whenever you happen to run in to somebody from Calvary or really anybody that you know, silently ask the Lord to bless them. Nothing fancy, nothing out loud, just a brief in-your-head request, a blessing for your brother or sister. I call it front porch prayer because I do quite a bit of it from my front porch. As many of you know, I just live right up here on Main Street in the greenhouse, meaning the house is painted green. As people drive or walk by, I see them. They don't always see me, but I see them, and I pray for them. This week, Bruce got a blessing most mornings. Depends on how faithful I am to get up and be out there praying, whether or not I catch Bruce as he drives by. Carol walked by and got a blessing. Carrie and Bree both drove by and got a blessing. I saw Marianne at Walmart, and I ran into Julie at the store as well. Everybody got a blessing. You're welcome. I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, I had not the slightest idea how their day was going, and I really don't need to know. I mean, it's not bad for me to know, but I hopefully you know what I mean by that. I'm not going to run out into traffic and stop Bruce, you know, and be like, Bruce, <laughs> that's not the time to, uh, to stop and, and, and ask him for prayer. I don't really need to know. We don't need to know in order to ask the Lord Jesus to make his kindness known to a brother or sister whom we love. Church, it costs us nothing to pray for one another except a little bit of time. But think of what great benefits can be had by taking our brothers and sisters before the Lord in prayer. Prayer is what has bound this church together and what will continue to bind this church together. Prayer is also what binds us to the Lord Prayer is actually an invitation into the counsel of the triune God. Scripture reveals to us that we are not the only ones praying for ourselves. John says in this letter, chapter 2, verse 1, that Jesus is our advocate before the Father. He's arguing our case. And Paul says in another place that the Holy Spirit also intercedes, prays for us on our behalf. Let that sink in for a moment. Right now, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for Calvary. Right now, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are asking for deliverance, for Janice's surgery, for this little girl who accepted faith in Christ, for those of us who are struggling with long-term health things, for all of our instruction and correction and increase in righteousness. praying for one another, praying with Jesus and the Holy Spirit before the Father, is a privilege and gift the likes of which our imaginations fail to grasp. We would melt like butter in the microwave if we ever fully beheld the glory of all that God has done for us in the death and rising again of Jesus. This is the eternal life that we can experience today. We are allowed inside the Trinity's conversation. There is room at their table for us, made ready with the blood of Jesus. Church, in light of this eternal life, knowing that our Father is listening, resting in the gift of salvation, free from the tyranny of sin, secure in our adoption into God's family, 
confident that Jesus has come and has shown us what God is like, let us get busy praying for one another. Amen.